sending me a good night. <laughs> My name is Lee Kai Wu, and today I'm joined by. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. My name is John Athanasio, <laughs> and I'm joined welcome, by. John. <laughs> welcome, John. Come <laughs> How are you doing this week? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah? This week's book was pretty insightful. So that got me through the week. Um, oh, really? You read, you, do, you read books every week? Well, tell me oh, more yeah. about that. <laughs> um, so me and my friend, Lee Guy Wu, he, oh, uh, we actually decided to read... A book every week because we both mm. had a bunch of books that we wanted to read but mm. we were kind of feeling not lazy but didn't really have that much motivation to actually pull through with the goal of reading a mm. lot of books so we said why not make it a mutual goal so that mm -hmm. we can both have apply good constructive blah, 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 the good constructive mm. pressure on each other yeah that leak i do it sounds like a good guy <laughs> so yeah he can be <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys read this week <laughs> Joe, am i better than you <laughs> <laughs> i'm leak guy <laughs> oh oh, oh actually hi guys yeah I'm Lika. I'm actually the co-reader of this week, or every week. Um, uh, and to this week, we read the book. Or actually, sorry, there's actually some housekeeping to do. Um, <laughs> that the first thing is <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is um, yeah. So actually, yes. So there are some. <laughs> No, I just want to say, um, if any of our listeners are um, interested in joining us for our podcast, we welcome. Please feel free to. Uh, and I know it sounds like a um, some this like pressure to prepare your material or like questions and uh, all that, so and so on and so forth. But we invite you, even if you would like to just sit in and like listen in as a a live audience member and in if there are questions it's also a great place to kind of like ask each other on the spot and so uh, we wanted to kind of reach out and tell everyone invite everyone to join us and we had thought of different social media or mediums to let uh, for for everyone to let us know and uh, easiest for YouTube would be in the comment section and then, uh, but otherwise, we, we are going to be creating a Twitter account. And so that anyone who um, follows us will be able to kind of message us or inbox us. Uh, or, or I don't know what the word is. Just message us. And then um, we'll probably share the tag or what's it, what's it called? Name tag or the username on either description of Anchor or Spotify or um, YouTube description. So please find us there and if you would like to join please join us hmm. um with that said i'm wondering john 
What what book did we read to this week? Hmm. Good question. Hmm. Actually, this week we read a book called *The Culture Code* by Daniel Coyle. All right. Tell us more about it. After this short break. Ah, got it. <laughs> Okay, so as usual, I'll start off with the summary of the book. So this week we read *The Culture Code* by Daniel Coyle, who's a contributing editor, editor of Outside <laughs> Magazine, and the author of six books, including the New York Times bestseller *Lance Armstrong's War*. This book, *The Culture Code*, investigates the characteristics of highly successful groups or cultures, <clears throat> and. Normally, a culture is understood as a noun that describes the values and characteristics that a group has. But Daniel Coyle suggests instead to interpret culture as more of a verb, as he says, "Culture is a set of living relationships working toward a shared goal. It's not something you are; it's something you do. Group culture has more to do with what teams do than what they are." So the example he starts off in the book with is the marshmallow spaghetti tower competition. So in this competition, groups of four were assembled from organizations from all over the world, and were challenged to build the tallest possible stru- structure with twenty pieces of uncooked spaghetti, one yard of transparent tape, one yard of string, and one standard-sized marshmallow, which was、uh, which had to be placed on the very top of the tower. So the first group of performances that were compared were between a group of business school students versus kindergarten students, and normally you would bet your money on the business school students, judging by their relatively mature level of intelligence. But if we take a look at the results, the business students averaged ten inches tall, while the kindergarten students averaged twenty inches tall. So. The reason behind this counterintuitive result lies in the way both <clears throat> both group approached this task. So, the business school students went with a rational and socially oriented method, which he meant, which he coins the term、um, status management, which is a method where they think about how they fit in a social structure and what type of role they can fill in the group. And on the other hand, the kindergarten students went with a quote unquote. Try a bunch of stuff together method, which is a much more experimental and goal-oriented method. So,、uh, Daniel Coyle says we focus on what we can see, individual skills, but individual skills are not what matters. What matters is the interaction. And he closes this. <clears throat> he closes by stating that groups of ordinary people. Can create a performance far beyond the sum of their parts. And after investigating many extraordinary groups, the author proposes that there are three main skills in building strong group cultures, which are number one, build safety; number two, share vulnerability; and number three, to establish purpose. Regarding building safety, safety is important because it's the foundation of building a culture. Without safety, all of the time and attention of the group will be allocated to peripheral problems, 
instead of the problems that you would want to solve to improve the group activity. And there's an essential variable when establishing safety, which is called the belonging cue, which are subtle psychosocial cues like eye contact, body language, and vocal pitch. And there are three characteristics of these belonging cues that make them powerful, which are number one, it enhances the energy invested in the exchange. Number two, it treats the individuals as unique and valuable. And number three, it signals that the relationship will be sustained in the future. And the reason why these are important is because humans are deeply wired and obsessed with sensing danger and crave social approval from others, especially superiors. And as a result, humans tend to be more prone or prone to danger or negative sig signals in general. So it's easy for us to feel isolated or not safe. However, a sustained flow of belonging cues converts this danger that we are so sensitive to to a sense of belonging, which leads to a sense of safety. And one example that encapsulates this um, safety principle is the bizarre event that happened on Christmas Day in 1914 at the Flanders Trenches during World War I. So the British and German soldiers were relentlessly fighting against each other in muddy trenches, and because the trenches were so close to each other, they managed to kill hundreds of men every day. But this physical proximity <clears throat> of these trenches ended up producing belonging cues. And the way this happened was that because they were so close to each other, both sides could hear and smell when the opposing troops were cooking or organizing their troops. And as they realized that their life rhythm was similar to theirs, they started feeling that the other side was experiencing similar stresses and weren't as different from them as they thought they were. And on Christmas Day, soldiers from either side started calling and responding to each other's Christmas tunes and also climbed out of their trenches and approached each other in a friendly way and ended up celebrating Christmas together on In the Muddy Trenches. So the proximity of the trenches made them enemies at first, but it also provided enough flickers of belonging cues that set the stage for a deeper level of connection. The second principle is to share vulnerability. Um, sharing vulnerability can be more important than trust, as vulnerability doesn't come after trust is established. And instead, Daniel Quill says, Exchanges of vulnerability are the pathway through which trust is built. And highly successful group cooperation is built by repeated patterns of sharing each other's vulnerabilities. And not to mention, it also establishes safety as a result. An example that, ex <laughs> the example that encapsulates this is the U.S. Navy SEALs log training. So this log training de delivers... Um, strong doses of pure agony for extended durations and demands highly coordinated maneuvers through difficult courses. And this interplay of vulnerability and interconnectedness among the soldiers is seen throughout the training program and it generates thousands of micro events that build cooperation and trust. And as Daniel says, being vulnerable together is the only way a team can become invulnerable. The last principle <clears throat> is establishing purpose. Um, so Daniel Coyle says, high purpose environments provide clear signals that 
connect the present moment to meaningful future goal. So it leads to greater performances and a better sense of belonging as a whole. An example is the Mountain Medical Center in 1998, where Harvard researchers found that the inexperienced team from Mountain Medical Center learned a surgical technique much faster than an experienced team of Chelsea, Chelsea Hospital, which is a very esteemed hospital at that time. And this Mountain Medical Center team's narrative um, was constantly reinforced, which was to help serve the patients better, while the other team, the Chelsea Hospital, only focused on acquiring the skill. So this shows how important um, setting purposes are in a group setting. And regarding different types of purpose, in the book he talks about proficiency and creativity as different methods of establishing purpose. Um, for people that want to establish proficient, high proficiency, he says that they should, the leader should focus on having members know and feel exactly what to do. While on the other hand, for creative purpose settings, um, he advises people to have people discover that from them for themselves. And I think we'll get to um, more specific examples in our reflections. So I'll stop right there. But he ends each section by posing guidelines that help us readers implement these key points into our lives. And since there's quite a lot, we will be bringing up the ones that we liked the most in our reflections. Hi everyone, right, so we'll, we're back and we will move on to the reflection section and we will have, first of all, uh, state our ratings for the book and then each of us will talk about our opinions. Um, so I rate this book out of 8.5 and out of 10 and then the testi my testimonial for this book is a book I will go back and read again, um, mainly because uh, it's hard to apply the concepts or the ideas that, or call to action, like actions that he suggests right now. Um, mainly because I guess a lot of it depends on your ability to be more on the leader side role. I know he mentions that leaders don't necessarily have like the, the, the stereotypical traits of leaders and like have to be like the best at anything or whatever. Um, but still, it's still kind of hard. We don't have, or at least for me, I don't have that many teams or groups that I lead. So I think it's good to know these ideas right now. And, but in the future, I want to be able to go back and read the book again and, and apply it there, then and there. But um, nonetheless, I wanted to talk about, so I'll go through kind of like each chapter and then like I'll pick out the ones the, that were interesting to me. And so I was starting off with the build, building safety chapter, or yeah, chapter one. Um, I realized how building safety is so important, especially if um, your team is 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 has a exploratory exploratory or experimental experimental or yeah uh, nature. So if it's like I don't know, like if it's an R and D like research and research and development department, and there's a lot of like. Uh, a lot of um, tests, um, 
try are they? trial trial and errors or like just kind of testing things out and seeing what doesn't what works and what doesn't work and building safety is is really important because it's hard to feel like your team gets has your back and feel safe um when you're out there trying to do like things that are bound to fail and so i i just kind of connected that to teams that rely on innovation tend i feel like it would be more important to build that safety net for those people and then um i really like the marshmallow example that john mentioned because um <laughs> sometimes we just kind of have to go back to ha- like our kids our kids stage and like we don't care about whether we're safe here like what's our future with these people like are there are there dangers like lurking around it's just be yourself and do, like do what's focused i mean focus on what's important and not about your like social cues which it was for to me it's just like it obvious but like wow like that's so true like let's not forget on what's important instead of worrying about your status or reputation uh, so it's just a good reminder there i also liked um how in one part of the book they meant it's still under build a safety chapter they talk about um, an nba coach called greg popovich and i've been i've oh sorry my audio um sorry my headphones just not working <clears throat> uh do you mind talking john um Oh, okay, I can Quick. hear you. Okay, I'm good. So, yeah, basketball coach. That yeah, basketball coach. Um, and I, I follow him, you know, for the longest. Like, he's really famous within the NBA uh, field, oh, wait. too. Can you, can, you, can you actually, like, set up before, like, the basketball part? Because I think it's, like, cut right in between. As uh, okay, okay, okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know, three, two, one? Mm. Okay. Three, two, and then um, I like how in one of, uh, in the same chapter under build safety, it talk David talks about um, Greg Popovich, which is a famous NBA coach, um, and I really like his form of like coaching and like loving. And he, even David mentioned in, in in the book, he says a lot of coaches can yell or be nice, but what Pop does is different. Um, he delivers two things over and over. He'll tell you the truth with no bullshit, and then he'll love you to death. And so it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. He, Greg Co- 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 <laughs> Coach Popovich focuses on what's important, as in he'll tell you the truth with no bullshit, and he's kind of following the kid's mentality there. But then he'll love you to death, and so he's still building that trust for you to fall back on and like he know yeah they know that the, the players know that he still has their back at the end of the day even though maybe he'll yell, yell at them but um really really lovely example there um a, a little want to talk about touch on uh how, showing vulnerability first um, by the way this is still under build safety um chapter i'll i'll tell i'll mention it when we move on to share vul- vulnerability um but uh, John talked talked about building trust, and I guess this kind of does touch on vulnerability. But I realized that when I talk to people about taboo like topics like finance or sex or relationship or anything personal and that could be sensitive or touchy, 
I, I realized I, I still have this bad tendency of asking the question because I love really openness and transparency between uh, in, in conversation. I asked them, but uh, I mean, it's, and rightly, rightfully so, they, they feel re- hesitant to respond openly. And so uh, what I do is I actually, I was like, I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, sorry, I asked you that first, but here, I'll tell you a little bit about my own stories relating anything like finance or relationship or whatever. And then after that, I guess, I mean, obviously they, they open, they feel more comfortable and they open up and then they are more comfortable telling me their stories too. And so I see this, I see this happening just not even team basis, right? It's like, this is a personal basis one-on-one and I thought it was funny to make that connection there. Not funny, interesting. Um, the next point is about previewing your future connections with your buddies or your, with your teammates to build safety. Um, and then so in this part, it's just genuinely talking to your teammates and saying, oh, like, oh, it would be nice to be at this point or like win the championship, for example, for the NBA. Uh, kind of like talking, discussing about this helps you to envision it and then build more bond. That's what uh, David is talking about. And I, I kind of, um, I don't know if it's a close enough example, but John, um, like two years ago, be, I was um, still not in grad school and I was like, oh, Northeastern grad school will be cool. And then John, you were like, oh, like um, going, was it Emory? Emerson. Emerson um, University to study art was is also cool and like how we could be both be in the states and like uh, stuff like that and then I thought that was kind of nice well it's kind of like both of us not it's like not daydreaming but like being or dreaming mm-hmm. about our future together and I find that I find I found that I tend to do that with people that I'm close to so. Uh, I think David is on a on something. <laughs> Daniel. Oh, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel, there you go. Ja, Daniel, there. Ja, John, I'll, I'll rely on you with all the editing after this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then. Um. Daniel, and then next point <laughs> was saying over, oh, or overdoing thank yous and over communicating. Your like a listening uh, attitude, she said, um, and I, I I do this a lot, um, especially now because everything is remote and people can't see your whole body and gesture and body language, and so whatever's showing in my in my camera, I try to raise my eyebrows, nod, really in- enthusiastically, use my hand, um, or lean in, like I think that still works. Leaning leaning in works in real life too, but like I think leaning leaning in works like in video too. To show that you're 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 there and that you're interested in what they have to say. So yeah, I try to focus emphasis yeah, focus a lot on showing that in real life. Or through Zoom. And yeah. So and then the next point there's one point saying Daniel. No, David. No Daniel. 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 Daniel um, talks about hiring, hiring meticulously and eliminating bad apples in a group. And I've, I, had, I don't really have any experience hiring people, 
but I do, I am really sensitive to bad apples when they join whatever group I am in. And so from a different perspective, from a, I guess, re recipient end, I, I can understand what Daniel was talking about. Um, so, and he also talks about ensuring everyone has a voice within a group to build trust. And I think, I like to think that I do a lot of this when I'm in a group setting with people and I ask, I, I tend to ask questions that are, <coughs> like I mentioned earlier, personal or a little thought provoking, some like deep, I could say, but that's kind of like, I don't know. Anyways, so when I ask those questions, I try to ask for everyone, to everyone. And John, if I ask you first, and I'll be like, okay, um, what about you, Ashley, who was who joined us last week? I was like, and then after Ashley, I was like, oh, what about you, John? And so we, I think that helps a lot with people feeling included. So that's one thing I try to do. Um, yeah, and then the next point is capitalizing on threshold moments to build trust. And so, and he goes on and talks about there are points in, so these threshold moments, um, when you first interact with, as a new group, there's going to be a point of first vulnerability and first disagreement. First vulnerability is the point in which there's an opportunity for anyone in the, in the party to open up and be vulnerable and share their some weaknesses or whatever. And he says, Daniel says, this, this is a crucial moment because depending on how you act, you can either look like you have, uh, you act strong and have nothing to, to hide or no weaknesses to show. That's one characteristic. And the other one is, I, ha I am full, full of flaws, but I am really comfortable with you to share, enough to share with you. And there's like this little fork in the road, like either you're going to go either, either direction. And so it's a really crucial moment to have everyone be on the same track or be everyone to feel that everyone has nothing to lose or like is welcoming and really willing to share their vulnerabilities. And this kind of format translates over to first disagreement when there will be a time when you disagree with each other. But the important part is whether you become someone that is uh, that does everything to prove that you are in the right or like that you're right and or that's the first personality or the second personality is someone if someone that's willing to let go of their ego and say yeah you're right but and I'm wrong but I don't care about that because all I care about is going getting to the truth and getting to what makes us better and so he uh, Daniel is saying these these two moments first vulnerability and first disagreement are key to cementing or planting the seed of we are safe here and so you know it just kind of relates to first impressions but it emphasizes even more the importance of first impressions and how we have to be careful with our act um, behaviors and, I, and I, i'm pretty sensitive or i'm pretty careful with my first impressions or my behavior when i first meet especially in a professional setting i think i tend to be more reserved and conservative and um try not to step over the line and I, I, and sometimes that makes things awkward or I feel like I'm just being too quiet or like rude 
could be looked seen as rude, but I don't know. Daniel talks about these threshold moments too, so I feel like maybe it's not too bad to be careful about my first impressions. I mean, it's not, but hold on, hold on, modestly, just do everything in, in modest, in a, in modest, in modest, in modest. Yeah, you guys know, you guys know my English, and then. Last part about building trust is picking up trash. So this is a catch or like the catchphrase that Daniel coined. Oh, John, did you want to say something? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Um, where higher <laughs> up, uh, like executives pick up. He gives an example of higher higher up executives picking up trash for uh, in the company. Also having no priorities or executive parking spots in in the parking lot and these emphasize the idea that we are all in this together and that <clears throat> like i'm not i'm no better than you and we're all in this to just get the work done and we don't really worry about hierarchy and that <clears throat> sorry that reinforces the idea of building trust so i thought that was cool and i definitely want to do that if i ever become a manager in the future and like do the dirty work for my team don't want that and then <clears throat> Um, moving on to share, sharing vulnerability. So I think there's one, so I, I really love this sharing vulnerability and I want to mention this one. Uh, so I, I actually made a, a blog post before about what instructors and teachers and professors, any instructor, what, what they can do to improve their classes. And this is from a perspe perspective of like a student, like a pretty much a lifetime student and I don't have any much experience in teaching although I did have teaching assistant experiences but I think the best way to um, show vulnerability to students is to say hey tell me what you want me to do and I'll help you as in and they do that right now in I mean I think a lot, a lot of places like in surveys uh, at the end of the semester or halfway through you send out surveys and ask hey hey like what's wrong with how we're doing and so this is kind of now re reiterating what I talked about in the blog post, but the, I think that's too, first of all, too late and too disconnected from the instructors. And I, I mentioned earlier, but like, it's a survey. There's no person to person connection and that, um, I, I, as a student, I don't see the effort from the teachers and instructors to, to try to do better for you. And I know this 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 has scalability problems because there's universities where it's 700 students, and of course that's in those cases surveys work a lot. But in classes like less than 30 students, I think it's definitely doable to to schedule, plan out different one-on-one -on -one sessions with students and ask, hey, what what can I do for you? And this, um, I guess now I'm kind of trying to prove two points. One is that it improves the the feedback cycle. Um, if you do this on a weekly basis, you can already immediately apply it to next week or the week after and so on and so forth. And and I think that's important because each semester, even though they're different, they're, um, they're, they're students at the end of the day, they're, they're different students that come in the next semester than the semester after. And so even if you make one change for the next semester based on the original first initial semester 
it, it might not work for the next semester. And so what's important is to apply those feedback that you receive immediately in the same semester. I think that's going to be important for students. But um, that's just kind of like more on the logistical end, and it's not really about vulnerability. But now I'll move on to vulnerability. And when, but when you do say, hey, tell me what you want me to do, I will do anything to help you because my success is, I mean, your success, as in the student's success, is my success. If you can communicate that, they will feel like the, the teachers are in it for them. And I don't know, John, but I'm sure you, you've felt this too, but if the teacher <coughs> is shows enough interest in your success, um, your your effort in the class kind of just is a, is a totally different game changer and it skyrockets mm. um i definitely felt that and when teachers don't care like why should i care and it's a it's it's an un unfortunate like a reaction chemist chemical reaction but it is what it is so if you want if we can prevent that by asking be more candid and open i think this is one way to do it mm. were you gonna say something that's similar to um the classroom example we had in the book David and Goliath, yeah, where <clears throat> the students were uh, quote unquote misbehaving by doing cartwheels across the room and whatnot. Mm. As soon as the teacher started reading a picture book, but in reality, mm. this happened because the picture book involved um, a student reading along with the a single student. Um, going to the front of the class and reading the book together with the teacher. So it was a one-on-one -on -one mm. interaction compared to a classroom, a full classroom interaction. So mm -hmm. that that just tunes out the students. So it's like, mm. I think the key thing is that just attitudes get reciprocated regardless mm. of your mm -hmm. status. And yeah. That just that reminded me yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, definitely a really important part. Um, but yeah, I, I'm done. I'm done ranting about instruction or the feedback cycle. But moving on, um, to share vulnerability, uh, Daniel talks about delivering the smallest of negative feedback in person. Um, I kind of, I think people try to follow this. I still need practice doing this. It's because I'm I'm difficult. It's difficult to confront people with negative or tensed topics, so I still have to practice this. But um, it, it, passive aggression is inevitable or really difficult to um, avoid when you're texting someone in, in, in with bad news. So I think that's where this. It's it's more about I guess general etiquette. I'm not sure how exactly connects in vulnerability I, I think it connects in vulnerability in terms of like because in-person feedback shows more like 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 i was talking about um non-verbal cues that um are more indicative of indicative indicative of um you care for them and it's hard to mess c communicate that message if you are texting and i think that's where he's getting at oh would you agree with that john Mm, yeah, it's um also harder to read what yeah. the other person's trying to say. Um yeah. it's kind of like the um what Cal Newport was talking about how liking is only one bit of information. Mm, 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 mm. Um a text message can 
be a lower resolution of what you actually want to say. So yeah. it can lead to yeah. misunderstandings and miscommunications. And that's not what you want in a group setting. So, um, and so really respect and admire p- people that use, I, I think some people might sound, make, um, some people think exclamation marks or points are informal or kind of like weak or like, or, I don't know, like soft. But I think it's a great way to over communicate that excitement, enthusiasm, just because text is so bland mm. and like, yeah, sure, that's okay, period. I, I do that to you, John, sometimes, but I know you, you know how I talk, so I trust mm. your interpretation, but like for a lot of people, it's like, uh, like, like, I'm really sensitive to that too, so I really enjoy talking, like, so I really enjoy talking to customer support, <laughs> <laughs> customer reps, um, especially like email or chats, uh, when I tell them, hey, I have a problem, they're like, Hi, Lika. I hope you're doing uh, well. Uh, <laughs> my name is like, blah, blah, blah. I'm here to help you. Um, thank you so much for waiting. And I know, yeah, that's like out of obligation for them, but it's nice to hear that. And so like, if, if it's nice to hear that, even from a customer representative, how, how much nicer is it to hear from a friend or your family member? So I think it's, it's a good tool to communicate your vulnerability. So it goes and um yeah do you have anything to add um yeah i it's i think it's a tricky topic because like you said people can be sensitive and people can on the other hand utilize this low resolution to their advantage so it really depends on the situation yeah, no. But no, no, no. Yeah, but as people who grew up with this digital communication, I think um, it's easier for us to read past the low resolution because we know how it feels to send it. Does that make mm. sense? Mm-hmm. So, I I just wanted to add that we might be more. Uh, native. Mm. So, which works against us? Mm. So, I think I'm somewhat against him saying keep your um, negative uh, communications oh. in person because okay. I feel like people who grew up with it can understand how mm-hmm. severe or the significance of just text messaging or like can read between the chats in a sense yeah i I was gonna say like i started to even though i'm sensitive and still sensitive i started to understand people don't mean harm or bad when they say yeah period it's like it's simple Mm -hmm. concise way of communicating and but then like because you know don't you sometimes meet people that have plain text but when they when you meet them in person they're really like bubbly mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. like ener- energetic or so lively so yeah 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 try not to i try not to get influenced by it too much mm. yeah so it kind of goes with your point of i'm getting used to it too mm. and 
So it's not necessarily. So John's saying you're saying we can be elaborate with our our text. But I think I was, I'm saying now is like I became a little bit more resilient or numb to the right. lack of lack of life in text. So adaptive. Yeah, I, in a sense. It's like, at the end of at the end of the day, we're kind of going both at the same direction. Yeah, yeah. We're adapting to texting. Mm. Yeah, but um, you you talked about c- customer support and talked about mm-hmm. how bubbly they are. I recently had mm-hmm. to contact customer support for Adobe. I'm not I'm not trying to like throw them under the bus, but their customer support mm. was so <laughs> passive. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was trying to switch plans. From yeah. my creative cloud to a photographer plan, because it yeah. was cheaper, and I didn't use much, most of the applications on creative cloud, so yeah. uh-huh. I was talking to them on how to make that change, because apparently you have to like cancel it once and then subscribe again. But they mm-hmm. offered me like a method of just doing that seamlessly. But in the process, mm-hmm. it was like, who who spilled your milk this morning, <laughs> like? <laughs> It was so. It felt like he didn't like his job, <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. affected my mood because I'm I'm also sensitive to that, although I try not to like have those influence me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so like you said, it is. It, it is a good tool to use to like. Just give them like a positive vibe on the surface. Yeah, especially for people that you don't really know, um, yeah, like customer support or just like first time people that you're talking to. Yeah, so I think it's important to make the disti- the connection between their actual attitude versus their surface level communication. Yeah, to fully so, understand so, so. what you're trying to, what they're trying to communicate, but mm. for new for new communicators or for new people, it's a bit hard there. So, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I didn't, I didn't think it would balloon to this conversation <laughs> with this point, but um, the next um, point is to create candor generating practices um, or conversations to build, sh- to, to share vulnerability. So, um, <clears throat> Daniel suggest ask asks the Daniel suggest asking the the questions that I will be mentioning right now um, in order to generate more candor or candor generate yeah yeah and so for example first is what were like this would be something like um like post uh, I think um, John will also talk about it later but <clears throat> there's these uh, meetings after. Um, I forgot what it was, but even after, so just like, so there's a word in Japanese called hanseikai, mm. and well, it's kind of just like this, like reflection time after whatever activities or events that had happened, like even like after a party or something, and and so let's take a party, for as an example, we'll ask questions like what were our intended results, what were our actual results, what caused our results, and what will we do the same next time, and what will we do differently. And even just from these five questions, it really represents the idea of or the idea that Daniel is trying to prove or support that like <clears throat> it's not about you know there's no question about who did that or who was supposed like who or like 
uh, because like there's no hierarchy mentioned there's no like a really social key whatever it's like it's just the goal like what were what were we trying to do like what happened what what didn't go well and like forget about hierarchy or status reputation whatever just like well, you know what i'm trying to say so <clears throat> our only focus is like getting something done we're doing better <clears throat> and this naturally produces more honesty because like you start to forget you start to become the kids that were making marshmallows it's like oh no we need to do this we got a hundred i don't know sorry it's not as grand as i thought it was when i first thought of this but it's a good reminder to kind of remember keep our keep ourselves on track of asking the questions that propel us into doing better rather than blaming or talking about response all right responsibility is important too anyways yeah moving on um <clears throat> last point about sharing vulnerability happens to be something about making leaders disappear um and this i i'm not sure how it directly relates to vulnerability but uh, my interpretation of making leaders disappear making teams successful is that i think it's kind of like a uh the best, I think, the best team is a group full of followers that are also that are also capable of being leaders, and I, I think this is important because not every situation is gonna demand you to be a follower, and not every situation is gonna demand you to be a leader, and it's important to adapt based on the situation. And there's one example in. Well, I think. Uh, I'm not I'm not too familiar with this, but like the military, uh, the I, I'm not sure which military section, but like the the training, the PTs and the trainings that uh, the soldiers go through. Um, I know I, I I think it was in a book too, but they talk up they train soldiers to become self thinker self um, thinkers in situations that like so they give them a in the trainings they give them really difficult or like impossible tasks and it forces the, the soldiers to think for themselves because if they were just followers they would kind of brute force into completing the task but i guess since if they have to think for themselves as in like being a leader because they're kind of synonymous they, they they realize that it's impossible to do something to do to do complete task without breaking some rules that were imposed earlier and so Teams that can think for themselves while following f following orders, I think, is a best a, a best mix of the two two characteristics, mm -hmm. and that's I think that's why making leaders disappear is more in a sense like a test to see if the team is self sustainable or sustained. And I I think I know that Greg Popovich Popovich was which is an NBA player or <laughs> NBA coach um, sometimes deliberately gets ejected from the game so that the team has to come together and think and stand on their own feet and work it out uh, i'm not sure if it's like true but i might have heard it somewhere so i thought maybe who knows I, I feel like he would do that something like that um yeah and the, so that was chapter two and then about sharing vulnerabilities chapter three about estab establishing purpose i think john we kind of talked over this earlier too but it's kind of kind of self-explanatory and basically define rank and over communicate your priorities and 
share that with your teammates in that way you get to we we have heuristics to follow in one cohesive direction and that will uh you know make it two time to to a sum it'll be the the sum of the parts <laughs> are greater than the individuals or something i always can't that can't oh, say oh. that phrase <laughs> i always forget but you guys since you're laughing you probably understand what i'm saying and everyone else that's listening but yeah um that was thank you thank you guys for listening um and that no i'm kidding that's that was a long reflection but john i'm ready to pass it on to you thank you so um it's ma well, i'm just saying this from my first part of the summary it's ordinary people can create a performance far beyond some other parts at least from the book but i i know <laughs> what you're go. trying to say yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go okay so i rated this book 8 plus out of 10 because um i knew it was better than 8 but i wasn't really sure if it was as good as 8.5 so you know, just like the letter grading system, I added a plus to show my extra <laughs> rating points. Yeah, higher than an eight. <laughs> yeah, but lower than a uh eighty eight point five. Anyways, um, lower lower than nine minus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like right right before nine minus. Yeah, right before nine minus. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, so. As a whole, what I got out of this book was, um, although this might be a re reiteration of the main points, was number one, to welcome people more. Number two, be open with their with our vulnerabilities and honest with what we believe in. And number three, stay goal-oriented as a default, as doing all of this will eliminate the bad apples, attract like minds, and get things done effectively at a group scale so and reading reading this book was pretty satisfying because these are pretty much the characteristics that i believed in but never v verbalized i had a sensation of or similar set of values that daniel Coyle um presents in this book but yeah so all the characteristics that are in here I would definitely implement whenever I um, lead or be a part of a bigger group. Um, yeah, and the important things that stuck to me, um, the important concepts that stuck to me were, the first one is the Allen curve, which, which talked about the relationship between physical proximity and frequency of interaction. Um, yeah. So the closer you get, the more interaction, the, the more frequent you interact with another person. And as a result, the higher performance and higher creativity and innovations you can come up with. And I thought this was difficult to do, especially now because of our COVID situation. So I wondered how this um, affected all, a lot of the, I wondered how like already successful groups um, catered their process of their proximity or the Allen based on the Allen curve 
Um, another one, another point was to preview future connections. Um, I'm sure Leek, I talked about a lot of these, but, and I do agree with him a lot, but just to remind myself that um, to have a clear image or destination of where the group is heading or where um, our action is headed toward is is kind of like uh, not only it not only it maintains your um, mental stability, it also boosts your motivation to get to that point, even though the odds may seem um, tremendous. And sharing this with your groupmates, like Leek, I said, is really uh, it, it's it's a form of um, belong. It's a form of a belonging cue, I think. So regarding sharing vulnerability, um, I recently had the experience of uh, sharing my vulnerability to establish a common ground for an interaction between a friend that I met for the first time. And after being able to set this, um, by the way, the vulnerability that we shared was the worst things that we've ever done. After I was able to establish that foundation, we were able to um, delve deeper into our conversations and as a result, relationship. And yeah, now we meet more often and talk more often. So, and at a deeper level than a normal friend so I really felt the power of this uh, vulner vulnerability principle mm. um, can I add something <clears throat> as always um, I think I mentioned earlier about like previewing future connections with you and talking about going to grad program and stuff like that um, and I first thought well we're not necessarily in a group like you, John, and I, like at least back then. And so I was like, does it really connect or relate to our point? But I think it does relate because our brain, our brains are like susceptible to those cues and like reactions, just kind of like the influence book that we read in the first, first episode, um, how like our brain doesn't distinguish like what's like what the context, but more like if, as long as you get the cue, the stick stimulation it'll still trigger something in your mind and so like sharing this vulnerability part with your friend it makes sense even though you two like aren't necessarily doing something as a, a team or as a, like in a in a typical sense but then you can you can uh, recalibrate and like look at it in a different way saying that well you to the relationship between you and your friend is kind of like a team of, or like a goal in itself of like going towards the same uh, like friendly uh, relationship is one goal that you guys are going towards and by sharing vulnerability you guys are able to connect better and so mm. I think I just want to make the point that it doesn't necessarily have to be teams it can be an individual basis or mm. even in an even odder more odd situations as long as like the cues are there the vulnerability sharing or the safety is there mm. purpose is there it kind of still functions in our in our mind. Yeah. Yeah. It it really seems like a 
the fundamental principle for just human interaction in general, not um, specific to a group. Hmm. Right, so regarding establishing purpose, I really like Pixar's brain trust meetings. Um, so what a brain trust meeting is, uh, they do this type of meeting where a frank, candid type of meeting where they view the, where they test screen the movie that they just made. And they pretty much tear it down into bits, like being super critical about it and being open to each other, regardless of their social status. And they do this to improve the film, not to, not with the objective of respecting their elderlies or people higher up in rank than them. Um, so yeah, I thought this was a really good example of having a goal-oriented mentality in a group setting. It was also relieving to know that even Pixar's first films are shitty. <laughs> um, as someone who likes to make stuff myself, it's really demotivating to see my first draft because they tend to be shitty too. Um, mm -hmm. um, I guess this in itself is a, a belonging cue. Like... It provides yeah. me safety, <laughs> knowing that Pixar says all our movies suck at first. I don't know. But yeah, yeah it also motivates me to keep adding on to that draft. In the book, he talks about different purpose, different types of purpose settings. Um, so the first one is proficiency-based, where he talks about, which is more like logistic-based, where they follow specific principles. But for creative purposes, like Pixar's, he lists a kind of different set of uh, exercises, which are hire people smarter than you, fail early, fail often, listen to everyone's ideas, face towards the problems, B-level work is bad for your soul, which is similar to what I just talked about. And it's more important to invest in good people than in good ideas. So... It's more oriented towards the individual um, motivation compared to a uh, holistic group motivation, compared, um, which mm -hmm. is for the proficiency purpose setting. Mm. And I really resonated with this idea and wanted to implement certain parts of my life, um, especially because I recently also had an example of working with an alluring project, working for an alluring or like attractive project, but just had the wrong people working. And that really drained me. So yeah, this just reminds me to focus more on the people mm. instead of just the ideas. And on the same note of just establishing purposes, um, the principle Preview future connections and reinforce purpose with artifacts was something that I wanted to implement right away because I tend to lose sight of goals in the noise of just mundane life. So mm. I'm, I had the conversation with Lee Guy too, but I try to keep things in my room to remind myself of these important things that I want to and need to but end up forgetting to remind to, yeah just 
boost that motivation back because yeah there's like a i don't know how long specifically but around a two-week span of me establishing a goal and being really motivated about it and then slowly declining into mm-hmm. a pit of demotivation so yeah. I don't know, maybe I should get a tattoo or something, <laughs> but <laughs> just something like a poster or something right. that will remind me of where I want to get to. Or just talking to people like Likai helps too, but something that's constant is, I thought, is what I need. So mm. this is a good reminder for that. Um, you know what's a what's another good reminder is a, a desktop screensaver. Um, in college, when I was studying organic chemistry, I put put my periodic table onto the, the back of the. Oh, nice! <laughs> I also had a. This was not because I was studying, but it just kind of coincidentally I had a a mug, um, coffee mug, with the periodic table, hmm. uh, wrapped as a the design <laughs> of it. So. It's nice. It was nice. I wouldn't say it's like it helped. It's more like reference. I was like when I was doing assignments, I was like, oh, rather than searching it up, I can just <laughs> look at my desktop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's a quick access to that reference. So yeah. It yeah. It's functioning as that. Net. Yeah. So the last thing that I found important from this book was um the characteristic of the the members of these significant groups. So the key thing about the people that belong to these successful groups is that they weren't really aware of their deeds that made the group culturally significant. And this might sound cynical, but for the lack of better words, I think that a part of the success came from chance and just people being the right place, the right people being the right place at the right time. So it'll be it'll be hard for us to try to intentionally reproduce what they did from scratch. But this book provides us the opportunity to be aware of these principles and it shows us guidelines to help us internalize and practice it so simply reading this I think increases your chances of finding success in a group setting Mm. so it's kind of like the artifact that can reinforce desirable results in a group setting Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah, I think I guess so far the books we've read, kind of except well, I guess it works for everything. But I, I mean, the more you learn, <clears throat> the more you are aware of these stuff in the day to day life, and you can use it to your advantage. Or so. It's good. It's good that we are able to learn and kind of talk about it and share it with people, so that we all can benefit from hmm. these great art authors. Because, you know, yeah, credits to them for figuring this out for us <laughs> or assembling it into this shape. yeah yeah <clears throat> and i think um about this success people 
um, born into success is a another is a topic that's also um, mentioned in Outliers, which is next week's book, and I think we can get we will be able to talk more about it next week about how some people are just destined to succeed. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So stay tuned for that. <laughs> um, but with that said, we will now move on to Q and A. <laughs> and welcome back to our Q and A section. So, this week, or uh, just to recap for everyone, Q and A section is where we kind of prepare questions for each other. And this week we have one in particular, like kind of like last week too. And this week is more personal it's what what is um call and response as priorities and we ask this because chapter three was about establishing purpose and over communicating that with your team and call and response is a project that we both are in this john and i are in this together and uh, we consider this our consider it seriously and this is our project as a team so i think it's a good place to start and add our little story storytelling here um but yeah so john i'm gonna ask you since you're here what is call and responses priorities um so we started off with reading for ourselves and as a method of doing that we decided to share it to other people and Hopefully they would get something out of it as well. And in the process of sharing it, hopefully connect with like-minded or people who are curious about similar things. But um, we actually had a meeting after recording the third episode, the episode on digital minimalism. And we shared what we felt about the recording because we were all somewhat dissatisfied with the result. So we sat down and talked about what happened. Just similar to, I don't know, the um, brain trust meeting at Pixar. We broke down what we thought was bad, thought was good, and came to the conclusion that we were simply reiterating the summary of the book. Like that was all we were doing. And that wasn't really adding much value um, people can just search it up online or read the books themselves um, and that would be it but we wanted to add a twist or incorporate ourselves into what we learned from the book um, so it'll be one easier for the audience to listen to and relate to and it'll be easier for us to remember the content by internalizing what we learn so after establishing that um we reshot the previous episode if you guys didn't notice based on this calibrated purpose so yeah i think we just had a pretty recent but important up update of our 
priorities, I guess. Yeah. And our and part of our reason to invite everyone to join us is because it goes along with our, you know, intended pur- purpose of putting our own st- personal to- stories and opinions and kind of adding it on top of the stories that are told in the in the books and so the more the merrier so if we can have more t- people sharing their stories it's just more we can learn from each other and so once again please think about it <laughs> i wanted to also add um how there were actually some now thinking back some traits that we follow or the, the rules that we follow that da- daniel daniel talks about and so first one is about the creating a candor 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 generating um, practices such as asking what were the intended results what were our actual results what caused our results what we'll do the same next time and what we'll do differently and i think it's pretty much the same thing as what john said a little bit earlier about our third episode of digital minimalism we went back and said you know are we really doing what we're trying to do which is adding our own story or like you know we're still in the, we're still trying to figure out what our purpose is too i mean we're also walk be welcome or we are open to adding extending our purpose to different different missions or objectives but you know we recalibrated calibrated after our call and so i'm i'm i was surprised to see oh you know actually we are asking about like our results and how we can do differently um another part that I thought we were doing was the one of the actions for creative groups is to fail early and fail often. And uh, I really enjoy working with John and other people like Ashley last week because it's we, we don't mind sucking at first. It's we, we don't have like the proper equipment or like we don't have a studio like the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, but we're okay with that and our recording is on zoom it's not like individually shot video so and our structure of the podcast is still somewhat changing volatile yeah but i'm glad we're on the same page and that we think there's things that we won't know and that we can't fix and learn unless we encounter them after making the mistakes so Mm. i thought we were failing well early and failing well Mm. often Mm. so and the last thing was uh hiring people smarter than you and this is shout out for johnny boy because (laughs) he is uh the best summarizer of the books we've read and he's the best editor of the video and audios uh that we have when we share it on youtube and anchor so a round of applause for everyone and i also will have a reaction here that will say clap and I also have another reaction called celebrate or ta-da. Yes. Yes. I, I hear, I hear <laughs> applause from the audience too. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I think on top of that, we're, we're it, doing this podcast helps us internalize our stories too. So, you know, we have the audience to thank as well because we are. They are helping us internalizing the, the stories. Mm. Their presence. Kana? Their presence, yes. Mm. I can still hear them clapping for you, John. 
We gotta we gotta give um, a round of applause for Elite Guy too for giving his insightful reflections on each chapter <laughs> of every single book. <laughs> I think I, I went over like forty minutes just with my own reflection, which was <laughs> I'll promise to make it more concise, but yeah. Um with that said, anything else, Johnny Boy? Um Yeah, so we are still in the we still suck <laughs> we are still uh-huh. in the shitty draft phase <laughs> so yes. we appreciate any form of feedback even okay maybe not let me don't just comment like this sucks but like give us <laughs> give us like why why it sucks why it's good keep this don't just leave this out improve this keep this kind of thing like anything because we want to improve and make this bigger and involve more people for just everybody everyone gets to learn in the process so yeah and yeah like this sucks is fine too it just gives more weight to the the severity of our suckiness yeah and so it's fine and um uh, what, what was I gonna say? That's good. Yeah, totally forgot. <laughs> but that's nothing new about me. Okay. <laughs> um. Next week will be Outliers, by, by, Johnny Boy. Oh, Malcolm yes, Gladwell. Gladwell. He will be our second guest, our second time joining our podcast. Yeah, he is the same author as David and Goliath. Yeah. Made so much um, And then we'll most likely update our uh, schedule pretty soon again, and then we'll create our Twitter account very soon. Tickle it! Today, I'm あたしのジョンでした。はい。そしてあ、今日も皆さん聞いてくださってありがとうございました。オッケー。Thank you everyone and please stay safe. Bye bye. Bye bye.